there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger traveled to the rural south in Buster and Billy. Columbia Pictures, Buster and Billy. It should have been a love story. Got scratched behind the ears in Baxter. Baxter. Hello, Mendon Baxter. I am Baxter. And divided up the spoils in the fast kill. So this sounds like the craziest plan coming from the most bloodthirsty place it could possibly come from. And now we bring you the after show. Your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your cat person, Gala Avery. On this episode of The After Show, I'm unlocking the video vault, our backlog of full film discussions between Quentin and Roger that have yet to make it onto the air. Let's unlock the vault and see what we find. Out of the vault, I present a discussion on John Frankenheimer's The Fourth War. Two proud soldiers. In war, they're expendable. In peace, they're dangerous. I will not tolerate Two malcontents who think they have the right to start their own private little grudge war when the rest of us are in danger of being turned into French fries. Roy Scheider, Jürgen Brocknow, John Frankenheimer's The Fourth War. Starts Friday at a Cineplex Odeon theater near you. Consult your local... But before we get into the discussion on The Fourth War, I've got outtakes from the main episode, a question or two from listeners, and a little note about customer cards. I'm sure you guys have seen the signed Video Archives customer cards popping up every now and then on social media, and I've gotten a lot of questions about how to get one. No, they are not currently for sale with the rest of our merch at podswag.com. Select longtime listeners were chosen to receive a goodie box as a special thank you for supporting us since the very beginning. 
The box contains some Video Archives merch, snacks that Quentin and Roger love to eat when watching movies, and also a personalized customer card. When we were signing these cards, it got Quentin and Roger thinking about all of the other cards from the days past. Listen in as Quentin gives you a tour of his wallet. Uh, I found something in some old wallets that falls into our love of all things old video store uh, adjacent. So one, let's talk about the wallet for a second. <laughs> yeah, that is like a, like a like a rip curl style wallet. Yes, okay. So like the, the Velcro, uh, okay, uh, it's like a surfer wallet almost. These were not all in this wallet, but uh, uh, it was uh, spread out between four different wallets I went through, and I decided to put them all in this one. Is that a camouflage wallet. Yes, this is a camouflage wallet advertising. Media, home videos, canon release of POW The Escape, ah. starring David Carradine and produced by our customer, written and produced by our customer, John Langley. Yay! I think Malcolm Barber wrote it with him as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, actually, I really like POW The Escape, still like it. Uh, it's a good movie. And by the way, completely public domain now. Um, so they came out with a gigantic video box of like the two new canon releases from media. One was POW The Escape. The other was one of my favorite exploitation films of, of the 80s, The Naked Cage, which was one of the best women in prison films. And they came out with one big a giant video box, one POW The Escape on one side, Naked Cage on the other. They came out with this camouflage Velcro wallet inside of there. For whatever reason, because I like Naked Cage so much, they also sent a wallet card, which I kept in my wallet, all right, for many years, just for no reason other than to not, why take it out, all right? Uh, uh, all my journeys in Europe, writing Pulp Fiction and going on the film festival circuit, this was always in my, this was my wallet, and this was always in my wallet, the Naked Cage wow. wallet card. Also in here. Oh my God, it's so cool. Yeah. I, it's, it's just like the image without Naked Cage written on it, like a little... Just like a little remembrance of the movie. No, my, my. And then on the flip side, it says, unjustly sentenced. An innocent young girl is engulfed by the treachery, violence, and lust of a brutal woman's prison. Explosive, razor-edged action from the director of Caged Heat. It's, and then enlarge you know, the title treatment, The Naked Cage! You know, when I first moved to Amsterdam, the first time I was ever in another country, I bought my little bus pass and it was like always resting next to my naked cage uh, wallet card but also i have some video cards oh. from long since closed video stores the king of these is kim's video yes from kim's greenwich video. village yeah wow look at that kim's yeah. video four kim's video four laminated and uh as far as i'm concerned greenwich village has never been the same since kim's video closed all right so here's my kim's video card we'll have pictures of this on the okay next i think i've seen we've shown this before oh, is yeah. the video outtakes yeah. card which i don't have my archives card but i do have my video outtakes card yeah well, for some the... reason we both have tons of video outtake stuff and no yeah. archive stuff andy which is, this was obviously given to me by lance all right well, uh, it, back and, in the day and that is a beautiful card made out of like I mean, those were expensive cards made out of the plastic yeah. and the, the see-through red plastic also and this is a very interesting video store uh hollywood boulevard and western was one of the sleazier areas yeah. Of Hollywood, it's kind of where the uh, you know they, they had that one little uh, um, burger stand that was there that that's where all the runaways like had their ninety nine cent breakfast and stuff. Uh, but there was like this really grody uh, 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 supermarket that kind of just handled all the people in the neighborhood by the pool hall there. 
and that grocery store had a little 2020 inside the grocery store. So you go into the grocery store and there was this little 2020. I will kick myself forever for not going down there more once they were kind of phasing out the video stores because it just so happened that that 2020 on Western, because it was close enough to uh, Koreatown, had one of the best Kung Fu sections yeah. you're going to find. Outside of going to Chinatown and actually watching the Hong Kong movies, it had a plethora of uh, the you know the normal Chopsaki Kung Fu movies that just got released through normal videos. And in those days, those were impossible to get. In, in, unless you were going to Chinatown or a yeah. place like this, those were impossible. Well, you were well, living right near there, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was living right by there. Like you were living, I was living in Koreatown at the time. I was living, yeah, I was living in... Uh, uh, um, like in that, like in that Barton Fink apartment that you were in. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like third. Th- I lived on third and Western. Uh, that's how I discovered the place. And it was like, oh wow, they've got they've got great stuff. They had like, a ton of Bruce Lai movies. It was it was a really 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 great because actually Leonardo DiCaprio grew up right by Western and uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and he used to go to this when he was a boy. He used to go to uh, this twenty twenty video store too. The th- last card I have here. It's called Video Jack. <laughs> video Jack shit. We got Video Jack shit. <laughs> video Jack, all right. It ain't Jack anymore. Was on 37 East 2nd Street in downtown Los Angeles. It's made of plastic, too. So, like, they, you make fun. We didn't make plastic cards. All these ones were plastic cards. They were the real deal. Yeah. Uh, but you will notice that there is Japanese writing on the back. The reason... Is because Video Jack was a really cool video store that I discovered in Little Tokyo. And their thing was showing Japanese releases of uh, uh, films. Now, it just so happened that at that time, Japan was the only other foreign system that actually went on NTSC. Yeah. So all the European ones were PAL and everything. So you couldn't play them on your machines, but Japanese videos you could play. So naturally, they had a bunch of Japanese films and stuff. But they also had American films that were released in Japan on video that weren't released in America. Yeah. So I would go down there and, and scour it for all the uh, uh, Japanese films that got released in Japan, but you can't find in normal video stores. But they also had, they also had, a, lot of, they had a lot of TV shows that were really popular. So like they had a bunch of airwolves. <laughs> yeah, you know, on video. All right. When when your normal store didn't have airwolves. All right. They had a bunch of Battlestar Galacticas when your normal store didn't have a bunch of Battlestar Galacticas. They had different TV movies, The Great Escape 2. <laughs> and there were these big Japanese versions, these big Columbia versions of them. Well, in Japan they like they love their media. And so the the packaging is always awesome. They have programs in movie theaters. Yeah. They, like in those days, some of the best Package design yeah. for media was coming out of Japan for sure. Oh, as a matter of fact, I even remember that like when uh, early version of Moss Sound is when a Piranha was released in Japan, you listened to it with headphones on and it had these special like sound waves or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just pulled my um, Reanimator 2 laser disc out, which uh-huh. was a Japanese import. Uh, and, and the, the blacks were always treated. In fact, the transfers were different as well. They would always crush the blacks a little deeper. They had like a super high level of quality control. Yeah, no, they were, no, 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 they were, they were, they were fan. No, that was a really cool video store. I like yeah. found, I found a diamond on the rough when I found that place. The website, busterandbilly.com, B-I-L-L-I-E. 
was a treasure trove of information on the movie, including an alternate title and even more production notes. Apparently the movie was supposed to be called Black Creek Billy. Oh yeah, well that that's on the uh, 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 the graffiti, uh, right? No, it's also on the uh, uh, um, uh, when you look at the closing credits, it'll say uh, 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 oftentimes you'll see the original title on the production company, a Back Creek Billy Productions. So I noticed that on yeah. the closing credits, and that credits. actually makes me think maybe that's kind of weird though that like Billy isn't more of a character when originally the movie was just supposed to be called Black Creek Billy. And now it's, and it's, Billy, bust, and they Billy's, had to bring theme. it's Billy's theme. And like, maybe she was supposed to be more of a character. Um, the, well, she is the motivator for his entire transformation. Yeah. Uh, Columbia pictures acquired distribution rights for $650,000 reported a $400,000 profit. And then the budget apparently was $350,000. It was shot on location in Statesboro, Georgia Daniel Petrie said that he was lured to the location by Georgia. Obviously, they have good tax stuff down there. Yep. Um, and it's a right to work state. Yes. Well, no, but also, but during that time in the seventies, Georgia was like the third most shot. Yeah. Uh, um, state outside of uh, Los Angeles and New York. It might it, still be. Yeah. No, not anymore. All right. Well, no, now it's uh, well, well, yeah, but for different reasons. For different re- reasons. For reality. Yeah. Here. For reality TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Different for different reasons for uh, for. Uh, 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 cash, uh, yeah, uh, tax. tax breaks. Yeah. But that's not the case there. It was just, they were just shooting a lot of Southern stuff. And then there was a big, uh, uh, Atlanta acting talent out there. Um, so aside from all the featured actors, the remaining characters are all cast from Statesboro locals. Hmm. Um, production notes stated that there were only 10 professional actors in the cast and that some Statesboro townspeople actually play themselves. The principal actors were taken to the town before production started and studied local culture and dialect. The props and wardrobe in the film are all authentic to Statesboro, as described in the production notes. A clothing store had dead stock from the 1940s, and a local merchant provided the entire contents of the grocery store that he had purchased during that era. And then vintage cars were rented. I thought that was pretty cool. No, oh, so like what, a guy like <laughs> he bought like a nice like, like the way I have a video archives in my th- <laughs> he, he bought a vintage 1948 grocery store and put it in his garage. Yeah, sounds like a guy it. I'd like. <laughs> On the main episode, we discuss movies and television series that really affected the genre of nostalgia for the 1930s. Listen in as Roger brings up another title that he believes shaped this genre. Also, I, I want to point out Walton's, which I think came off of Summer of 42. Walton's came out in 1972 and ran till like 1981. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Walton's, though it's super light, I mean, the influence of that can't be underestimated. That was a, a hit show, which was essentially about n- the nostalgia of being in the thirties of the thirties in Virginia. You're right. But I, I wouldn't base it on those movies. I mean, that was, that, that, that was less than a nostalgia for the thirties. Cause how, what's there to be nostalgia about people were starving to death. Right. Depression. Yeah. It was a nostalgia about family life, about what rural family life in the Hills was like less than pop culture. Yeah. Where I think pop culture is an important part of summer 42 and, And sex is an important part of both of them. And sex is an important part of Buster and Billy. We love talking about the companies that made these tapes. Roger and Quentin share a story that only true believers would understand. So they sent over uh, uh, one. It was really kind of cool because they actually, and I still have it because I like these two movies so much. As we, me and Roger, as Roger and I have uh, 
expressed before that we were huge fans of canon films, huge fan of David Carradine. So naturally, I saw POW the Escape. Yeah, so much so that we would do that every time a movie opened. Oh, yeah. We oh, yeah, would yeah. do the, the canon uh, logo. The kind of the hand, the fist moving into think, the C shaped hand, and it would come yeah. together like a sort of like a. And then we break our fingers apart. Yeah. Now we're talk, describing this all on radio. You just have to figure it out. <laughs> all right? uh, uh, but anybody who sees that canon logo coming together will automatically. A true fall believer into should the, know what we just said. Yeah. Okay. Other people won't, but that's okay. It wasn't meant for you. <laughs> Yes, I can assure you, every single time that we watch a movie that has the Canon logo in front of it, Quentin and Roger do that motion as if they were praying in church. They even took the time to teach me how to do it and to make sure that I get it right. I always use the wrong hand into the wrong fist, but they're patient with me, and I'm learning. When giving out the award for Best Cinematography, Quentin and Roger discuss Roger's kinship with the fast kill, and a story about what true romance would have been like if the two of them had cobbled the money together themselves. God, cinematography. I got to go with Fast Kill again. Okay, Buster Billy was definitely prettier. And actually, for that matter, so was Backstar. Yeah. But again, it's accomplishing with the camera what they had to accomplish. That it's uh, you, you can't give Best Director and not give Best Cinematographer to Fast Kill. They, they go hand in hand. Yeah, well, that is true. That <laughs> is, And as far as we know, the director was also running camera half the time. <laughs> he probably was. <laughs> so, he probably was. And, um, and I have to say... Actually, again, its sloppiness is part of its integrity. Oh, having, <laughs> listen, having come myself out of the same kind of realm as uh, Lindsay Schontaff, you know, to an extent, you know, like, I feel like... <laughs> That's the real Roger movie. That I, mean, I, I feel a kinship. The work of uh, Lindsay Schontaff. Yeah, I feel a kinship to this film because I feel like I could have made this movie in another life. And, okay. Well, and, the, well, no, I mean, we talked about it where he's like, okay, so... There was a time when we first started talking about getting the money for for uh, 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 True Romance, which was about like eighty nine or something like yeah. that, and and I was like, okay, one, if we had lucked out for whatever reason and had gotten the money to do True Romance, and we had to do it in a version like Fast Kill, all right. If we were able to pull off what Fast Kill did, we would be so fucking proud of ourselves. And we wouldn't and we wouldn't have been able to. He knows what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. Well, listen, when I did Kill We're better we're better directors than he is then. When but I, he's better at how to make a movie. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know shit. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> he's coming at it from a very um practical position where you have to find the art in the economy and which is really something that it is such an undersung skill set. I love true romance, but I would have loved to see the fast kill version of the movie. What about you guys? Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, into the vaulted discussion on the fourth war. This conversation comes from the same discussion as Better Late Than Never, featured in After Show episode 16. During our mid-season break, the three of us went our separate ways and watched a lot of movies. 
When we came back together, we spent an easy day chatting about what we had seen while apart. Before we recorded the discussion, Quentin sat Roger and I down on the couch and said, watch this one exposition scene and put on the fourth war. When we got upstairs, we knew that we had to chat about the movie. And then my last film that I watched just last night with a buddy of mine, uh, Nabot Papashado, the Israeli director of Big Bad Wolves. <laughs> the movie's called The Fourth War. Yeah. One of uh, John Frankenheimer's 80s classics, all right? That um, This is, okay, this is back back when uh, Thorn EMI changed their name to HBO Video. Yeah, when you first showed me the box, I was like, oh, is that a Canon film? That looks like a, I, I, it I looks see- exactly like a Canon film. And I had to even double check it to make sure it wasn't. <laughs> because right. like Fourth War, Frankenheimer in that period of time, Jürgen Prock now, everything about it well, the, uh, is uh, like, uh, well, oh, that's the, Canon. The it's got to be a Canon the movie. movie about, the two movies in brackets are perfect 80s Frankenheimer movies. So it's a, a, a 52 pickup and then the Hallcroft Covenant, oh. which wasn't made for canon, but was released by canon. Yeah. So I think this fits right in the middle of them. So it's uh, Roy Scheider and Jürgen Prock now and Harry Dean Stanton. It takes place where Roy Scheider is a, a warrior colonel who was like a legend in his own time in Vietnam and kicking ass and a great warrior. Like a Green Beret or something. Yeah. A great warrior officer. But as time has gone on, it's like, uh, you know, he's been stuck without a war. And he's had some drinking problems. He had an ex-wife problem. He had all these kind of problems. And he's a, a little lost. It's become an anachronism. Yeah. And so Harry Dean Stanton, who wants to, uh, um, like, this guy's a great officer. He's a, he's a great leader of men. I don't think it's, I don't think you throw him on the, uh, the dust heap yet. So they give him a, a you know, very unshowy post where he's the Americans representing NATO on the Czechoslovakian borderline between Russia and America. And he's basically there just to represent America and, uh, and the NATO alliance side of the border, where the Czechs and the Russians are representing their side of the border. Like the DMZ. Yeah. And so... The idea isn't for him to go there and start shit. The idea is to be a calm diplomat and and, and you know, no event, no news. All right, no, no event, no no incidences. That's what a cold war is. No and news. He's like fuck the cold war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make this shit hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't understand this cold war shit. <laughs> it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman in uh, uh, Charlie Wilson's war. No, no, no. That's how cold wars become. Actual war, yeah, like a hot war. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that's really smart about the movie, without making a big deal of it, it's just in the margins. It shows how the military is a business. Yeah. Kids aren't joining the military thinking they're going to go off and fight wars. They, they, it's a job. It's a job that they can get. It's almost like I can get a college education by being in the in the service, and I can have a tenure, and I can like you know, it's it's it's, it's the world of the eighties. It's yeah. A, yeah, it's a it's it's a business, and it's shown that on the Russian side, it's just a bunch of Czechoslovakian like farm kids and and Russian kids. You know, they're they're not Ramboish like fucking guys. They're just like kids. That's a good job for them. So they got so they got this job, and then. In, in this nice little margin aspect in the middle of Czechoslovakia, it's like three out of every five soldiers on this base is a black soldier, which is the way, which is, that's right when the military, uh, you know, started becoming a big profession for uh, young black folks, both men and women. 
they're not there to fight a war. This is no, this is the job. I joined the military to have a career to make money yeah, and to. I'm paying to, off my school and to know to <laughs> to get a GI Bill. All yeah, right, to, yeah. to go to this, uh, you pay me to go to school. Yeah, and then after that, I decide whether I stay in the military or not. And mm-hmm. by that point, I've uh, you Good know deal. I become a corporal. Yeah, yeah. now it's I just, a career path. Yeah, it's, it's a career exactly. path. The military is business. That's what's going on here. So they send Roy Scheider, who's not coming from that. He sees an incident happen on the on the on the Russian side of the border that he's appalled by, and he immediately overreacts to it. <laughs> so it's not like oh he's a okay maybe he's a little overzealous, but then things spiral out of control, and then he succumbs to the worst angels of his nature. No, right from the beginning, he is a completely unhinged crazy person (laughs) like uh, they should never have put him there no no it's he is as batshit crazy with less reason to be than warren oates in 1941 (laughs) and warren oates has a reason to be because he's just been the america has just been attacked by japan so in all of his crazy paranoia there's a reason to be crazy and paranoid yeah coming days off of the pearl harbor attack that's not the case for Roy Scheider. I mean, there's, there's even like one moment where the two guys are looking at each other right at the beginning and Roy Scheider looks like he's just going to grab a gun and just shoot the guy. And like they have to restrain him. I go, what the fuck? You're going to actually just shoot him? Like, I will take care of this fucking prick. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's crazy. It's called a Cold War. <laughs> just- so, okay. So they have this skirmish that, that creates an international incident. Gets chewed out by Harry Dean Stanton. This is at the beginning. This is not the stuff I showed you. <laughs> Wait, he gets chewed out by Harry Dean Stanton more than uh, once. Yes, yes, yeah. No, that's this is a, okay, okay. This is early on. This is early on. Yeah. And Harry Dean Stanton has a great line <laughs> because, like, like that's the Czechoslovakian poor Czech Czech guy trying to get across the border, a refugee, and they just they shot him in front of us. <laughs> Can't let him get away with that shit. <laughs> Everybody's like, what fucking else is new? <laughs> But maybe he was incredible. He, he could be any fucking thing. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> Are you going to create an international incident over that fucking guy? <laughs> and you don't know shit about him. <laughs> My favorite moment, because we came in and you were like, okay, sit down and watch this exposition yeah. scene. Yeah. And you show me the scene where Harry Dean Stanton, you showed us the scene where Harry Dean Stanton is like ripping him a new hole. Yeah, yeah. He comes in all super nice and everything like Harry Dean Stanton. And I'm like, Harry Dean Stanton's a terrible general. Like <laughs> from, because I hadn't seen anything that had come before it. I yeah, we had we had literally walked in and Quentin sat us down. He's like, "Okay, you guys, you need to watch this watch one this scene." Exposition yeah, and scene. I haven't gotten to set up this scene yet. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We're talking you want to set it like, up, or should I? Well, 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 uh, well no, you know, keep. Yeah, well. Anyhow, I sit down. Harry Dean Stanton escalates over the course of it. Almost, it almost happens. Like like boiling a frog slowly, <laughs> like you you, you, you don't you, feel it. You don't feel it until it's suddenly you realize, oh my god, Harry Dean Stanton is ripping me one. Yeah. <laughs> like well, he's ripping uh, um, uh, Scheider. Roy Scheider one. But actually, it feels like he is ripping you one because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like along there, well, not expecting it to escalate. At least. Roger well, he's so, because we haven't seen the rest of the movie. He's yeah. so like amiable and chummy to begin with and almost goofy and non-general like that I'm just not believing at all. And then suddenly by the end, I'm like, shit, I better uh, tuck in my shirt, yeah, 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 and yeah, adjust yeah. My, my my brass on brass and like do all that military uh, stuff. But then he hits him uh, with the uh, that amazing. I'll let you do it. I'm going to let you do it. Quentin, set up the scene for us. Yeah, okay. Roy Scheider is, is creating this antagonism with his 
counterpart uh, on the on the Russian side, Jurgen Prochnow. Jurgen Prochnow. So he gets into such a thing that he starts sneaking. This sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and by the way, if this were done as a Dan Aykroyd comedy they wouldn't change a fucking oh god a lick of the the plus synopsis okay yeah. everything fits as if it was something like that so uh uh roy scheider starts sneaking over the border at night <laughs> under the cover of night to go to their compound and like blow up uh, a tower yeah. or set fire to a barracks or just or fuck with their radar, all right, and then uh, <laughs> get the drop on a couple of soldiers and embarrass them. All right? yeah. Little things. Yeah, he's just fucking with them. He's just fucking with them until finally Jurgen Prochnow starts retaliating, and now they got this whole fucking war going on between the two guys. Well, and, and, and from what I can gather, uh-huh. Jurgen Prochnow has shot a jeep with an RPG. Yeah, it's up, blown it up, and then it's been passed off to the military brass as, oh, a jeep accidentally blew up yeah, in the DMZ. Yeah, and it, a, it was just an accident. The jeep just blew up on its own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's fucked with, fuck with Jurgen Prochnow enough that Roy Scheider is out there with his jeep checking something out and obviously Jurgen Prock now blows it up with a with a bazooka. Now Roy Scheider can't say hey the Russians blew up my tank with a bazooka because he started it uh, 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 and that would be an international incident so he just said oh no it was like a, some weird thing in the gas uh, the, in the gas tank and it just caught on fire. I'm like no it didn't caught on fire it was blown up by a Russian shell we, yeah, know we it. found pieces of the RPG yeah. <laughs> so anyway they call Harry Dean Stanton to come in there and 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 uh read Roy Scheider the Riot Act and the, the, tell him to stop his shenanigans. And the movie's still like a fun movie by this point. And the, the movie never stops being fun. But the movie gets so ridiculous at a certain point. It, that, that thing that we've talked about, we're like, okay, now the movie has revealed itself for what it is. And that happens a lot on these. It VHS happens a lot on these. No, well, this yeah. is still around the same time as Firefox, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. This uh, is kind of we're in Cold War time, and we're we we love the yeah. idea of messing with Russians. Uh, but okay, is this a cheesy, ridiculous fest? All right, or is this a real movie? And it's going back and forth. Real movie, ridiculous fest. Real movie, ridiculous fest. Until it, okay, no, no. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous fest. <laughs> okay, make no mistake. Yeah. This is not a good movie. All right, make no mistake. But is it enjoyable? It's incredibly enjoyable, and I'm not one of those so bad it's good. Okay. But it's so fucking ridiculous, <laughs> and it goes so crazy that I had a smile on my face and enjoyed it all the way to the bitter end. Now, having said all of that, there's this middle scene that we're talking <laughs> about that I showed you with Harry Dean Stanton. That scene is like from a different movie. It's really good. Because that's the it's as if Patty Chayefsky came in, wrote this middle exposition scene that is is the movie. The whole movie is boiled down. Harry Dean Stanton verbalizes the text of the movie, the theme of the movie so perfectly that nothing else needs to be said afterwards. But the part in it that's really great is he's saying, look. You're a child of Vietnam, and that's where everything is from you, and that's what you came, and it gives a whole Vietnam speech. Yeah, that's how speech. you were born. That's your parent. Yes. It gives a whole Vietnam speech, and it's a really great speech. That's what made you who you are. And then he goes down into, he goes, but you see right over that border, we got another guy, and he's just like you. He's a warrior, and he feels he's being put out to pasture, but he... Just came back, but he didn't come back from Vietnam. He came back from Afghanistan. 
and he's just as mad at you are. And that was just as much of a shit show <laughs> as it was over here. And when he came back, no one gave him a parade. And then he starts starting, what the fuck was it all for? Why did Ivan die? Why did Boris lose his leg? <laughs> and he's sitting there and he's getting mad too. And he gets the chance to fight his war all over again with you. You know what's funny? Is and I'm you- going to let you two malcontent fucks start World War III. Now, you know what's really funny is I just listened to that scene and you almost did it word for word. That was almost beat for beat. <laughs> like exactly it. Why did Ivan die? Why did Boris lose a leg? <laughs> like that entire monologue. Like you get to, you, like you said, this entire Pate Chayefsky. Like yeah, they're yeah. like, hey, we got Harry Dean. He can handle it. They give him this gigantic. Gigantic, gigantic scene. Probably pulled straight from the book. Yeah, yeah. And no, but I'm sure they, the screenwriter, uh, one of the two screenwriters, uh, wrote the book. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's straight from the book. But what's also what's really great about the scene is it doesn't just get right to the meat of it. It builds it up. It sets it all yeah. up. That, that's why I showed you so that's much. Be- so much before it before it starts. Yeah. Because it, it, it you know it ambushes you. Yeah. I mean, that was shot on two different days, like the inside, the interior is obviously a set that they did on a second location. And uh, then you've got the, you know, the base location that when he Mm -hmm. lands in the helicopter and everything walking to that apartment. So he does this kind of slow build, you know, of and and it completely disarms you as a viewer, like it completely disarmed me as a screenwriter. It's an expertly structured yeah. sequence, right? Yeah. Right in the smack dab in the middle of your movie that kind of brings all the plot threads together. You yeah, know? I wish I had like a YouTube link of like just that scene to just like spread around everyone because they yeah. should watch that scene. That's now, so if someone Quentin, could accommodate us, that would be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. What is this <laughs> on the back of the box about a beautiful refugee becoming involved? The two men use her like a pawn in a deadly game. Yeah, no, that's a... Uh, <laughs> That's the foreign actress in the eighties. Yeah. All right, is uh, the, finds herself in the film uh, with her in. Eastern Eastern uh, European accent. La- Laura Harris. Laura Harris, who I'm not familiar with. Her introduction to the film is ridiculous, and it's like, oh, okay, so this is just them working a girl into the movie, and now Roy Shatter has a reason to to deal with <laughs> yeah. her to some degree. However, they have a reveal that becomes actually interesting. Okay, so yeah. actually, she has like a purpose. Uh, no, no, there, it's a, it becomes a big reveal. There's okay. a big, big reveal that's uh, that's revealed later that actually uh, uh, plays into it, and not in a. I'm not going to say not in a cheesy way, but in an enjoyable cheesy way, as opposed to a regretful cheesy way. And a groaner. I mean, this was a programmer. This is Thorne EMI making this. They're making programmers back then. So this is that kind of film. It's meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to be, you know. No, this was meant to play at the the man's Manhattan Beach. Yeah, you've got a couple of stars uh, in it. The man's Manhattan Beach for uh, a a week. Yeah, a week. It's good for a week. And then maybe the the lower half on the second week, if if they have room. And also, just so I have it, for anyone wondering, um, The Fourth War was a video archives tape that was number 7848. Before I close up shop for today, I've got two letters from listeners. The first one brings the guys back to the popular titles of video archives. This question comes from Logan from Costa Mesa, California. Yeah, close by. Gala, Roger, and Quentin. I'm having such a fun time listening to your podcast. What was a top 25 most popular rental that would maybe surprise us from the video archives days? Keep up the great work on a fun show. I look forward to every week. Uh, so, uh, that's interesting trying to come up with one that would be surprising. The, the thing about video archives was that the movies that may have been the most popular were often the big movies that we only got a few copies of. Other than like saying like Top Gun or 
uh, the hit of the week. Uh, yeah, Jagged Edge or whatever was popular at the time when it came out. Well, that's going to be popular at, across the street at Warehouse. That's going to be popular at any video store. Um, one title that would be surprising that was very popular, I have to say I had something to do with this popularity, is um, the Eric Romer movies that uh, media came out with their uh, Connoisseur home video, which was- That their, great, great collection yeah, of all of his work. Yeah, their, their foreign line. The boxes were actually very sexy. So- uh, yeah, Especially Pauline at the Beach. Well, see, uh, that's the one. All right, so especially people would come up with the Pauline at the Beach video and they go, hey, is this any good? And then I would say, well, yes, I like it a lot, actually. Uh, well, what's it about? I go, well, it's an Eric Romer movie. And he makes very particular kind of movies. And, and they go, okay, well, well, is it a comedy? I go, well, it's not a comedy. And it's not a drama. You get to know a, a certain community of characters. There's never any jokes, but if you get into the whole flow of it, it's just ever so vaguely amusing. It's very undramatic. It's uh, it's not comedic, but it's amusing. But if you get into the right vibe, you could end up enjoying the experience. Now, if you enjoy the experience, then you should go and rent other Eric Romer movies because the other, the other movies are in the are, are in the same vein. You need to give yourself one. Of, now that I've set you up for it, you need to give yourself one of them to see if, if you respond to it or not. So I actually think I did a better job giving my preamble back in 88 than I did now. All right. Because I was a little bit more into Eric Romer at the time. Um but nevertheless, I think it was important that I gave that preamble to somebody who just picked up Pauline at the beach because they thought the picture of Pauline was sexy. And so I did describe it. And then invariably, all those people came back and rented another Eric Romer movie. They came back and I always asked them what they thought and they always really ended up liking it. And then the next thing I know, they're renting Full Moon in Paris yeah. or, or they're renting Summer or they're renting Claire's Knee yeah. you know, or they're renting My Night at Mods. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I just started noticing that uh, Pauline at the Beach was Pauline at the Beach or Full Moon in Paris was usually the gateway drug to get them get them going. Next thing I knew, Pauline at the Beach had rented eighty times, and then I looked it up, and then all of a sudden, it had rented a hundred you know a hundred times or hundred and twenty times, you know. So that is so that that is an example of not me recommending something and pushing it on, but something that like uh, announced itself from the shelf. The customers came up and I gave them the preamble and all of a sudden Pauline at the Beach did really great. Yeah. And that was one Siskel and Ebert had given a really good push too. And so there was yeah, a yeah. little bit of visibility on it. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. you could kind of tap into that at the time. Yeah, exactly. For me at that time, and uh, and it's probably because of the forbidden fruit quality of it. Right on. That, uh, you know, the, the youth of Manhattan Beach, which, you know, we're talking about kind of the South Bay beach communities. There's a, there's a bunch of punks. There's a bunch of surfers. Yeah. Bunch of nihilistic uh, 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 Gen Xers. <laughs> a bunch of nihilistic Gen Xers. <laughs> and 
invariably these guys and girls would come in, but mostly guys <laughs> like, uh, and especially I recall the McDonald brothers yeah, 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 yeah. were well, the, big pushers of this movie. And that movie is faces of death faces of death. Yes. Which was, uh, at one point it g- came banned and we kept it behind the counter. You yeah. had to ask for it specifically, but, uh, it was kind of riding on the heels of Mondo Kane, yeah, yeah. I think, which was also a big, uh, yeah. forbidden fruit, you know, that we would. Yeah. But, but, but faces of death really hit the airwaves in a big deal where it started making like, a. Uh, uh, news magazine shows were talking about the depravity of faces of death. And it had that crazy box with you know, all yeah, yeah. the death face on it and all the different. Uh, well, uh, uh, well, and also it had a great trailer that has all the best moments. Okay. Is in the trailer. Remember there's the monkey, the, 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 yeah. oh, that uh, terrible, the Asian thing terrible. where they're having, uh, they eat monkey brains or they, they put the little monkey's head and then the, 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 they bash his brain, little brain in alive with a skull. And then okay. they eat the, this is definitely a movie. I will not be checking it's out. The for the horrible, it's the most horrible. It's the most intense, horrible okay. Okay. moment. Okay. But here's the thing though. At least, Half the stuff in there is faked. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Half of it is like, the stuff that's obvious. The stuff that's real is obviously real. But there's a lot of fake shit in there. All right. Where it's like a guy has a video camera and they're at Lion Country Safari or something. <laughs> hey, let me get a little closer. All right. To the bear. All right. Hey, bear, you want a piece of my bus biscuit? <laughs> and the shaky camera for a moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Troy, Troy, Troy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> President <laughs> Where the, yeah, the assassination one? Yeah, that's that's a funny one. I like the El Presidente one. Yeah, the El Presidente one's a funny. One. And he just kind of he just kind of like groans and leans over like oh. rapido, rapido, rapido. <laughs> Faces of death. The second question came with a little gift that became our mascot and sits on the table in which we record. This next one comes from Tim from North Hollywood. Wow, even closer than Costa Mesa. I saw this and thought y'all would like it for your office space. His name is Vince. How perfect. Oh, Vince the video cassette. Vince the video cassette man uh, creature pillow. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's like that. Uh, Quentin, that is like a gift for your child if ever there was a, oh, a gift for your child. Oh, this is absolutely a gift for my child. Absolutely. Also, a little curious about the logo. Was it designed for the podcast or is it the logo from the store days? The logo from the store days. And uh, that logo was designed by Gabrielle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, was, I believe, dating Lance at yes, the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, was like one of the fixtures of our store and a uh, brilliant designer. Yeah, brilliant designer who worked for, uh, I believe, MCA Records. At yeah, the MCA Records. She was, I remember, because in those days there wasn't a lot, I don't think there was any real computer graphics going on in print. And she would do all of these kind of airbrushing of Chrome yeah, yeah. back in those days. Yeah, yeah. She, I th- she, yeah, she designed album covers yeah. for a, uh, uh, MCA, uh, MCA, yeah, it's MCA like record. literally like Ario Speedwagon type album covers. And that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to. Wait, hold on a second. Something else seems to have fallen out of the vault. What is this? Okay, well, it looks like it's a brief discussion on Sergio Corbucci's The Con Artists. A little backstory on the snippet. When we were planning The Great Waldo Pepper, featured on episode 19, it originally was supposed to be a double feature episode. What was its co-hit? Well, The Sting, of course. Quentin, Roger, and I had seen The Sting and The Great Waldo Pepper as a double feature at the New Beverly. But, as time went on, The Great Waldo Pepper stood alone. 
When preparing for the discussion on The Sting, Quentin, Roger, and I all watched several ripoffs of it, including Fernando de Leo's Nick the Sting and Sergio Corbucci's The Con Artists. Even though we didn't discuss The Sting, we still wanted to spend a few minutes chatting about The Con Artists. Let me read the back of the box. Oh, well, 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 we should say Jesus Lord. (laughs) The Con Artists, a comedy of strings and double strings. And I actually have this one on. Anthony Quinn and Cappuccine. Yeah, but the star of it is Adriano Clenantano or whatever, the the comedian guy. Yeah, Clenantano. Yeah. The Con Artists, shake their hands and count your fingers. This (laughs) fast-moving comedy caper stars Anthony Quinn as Bang, a notorious con man who somehow manages to elude the long arm of the law, barely, by doing a lot of Anthony Quinn stuff. Yeah. Like doing a lot of Anthony Quinn stuff. Just so everyone knows, Roger was just putting his hands in front of him and kind of making yeah. like, uh, uh, what about it, guy, gesture. Uh, what's the matter, you? Yeah, yeah what's the matter, you <laughs> As he weaves in and out of outlandish jams, Bang's misadventures involve him with a delightfully rakish cast of characters. There's Felix, Adriano Clenantano, a young man who shows great criminal promise, the provocatively beautiful Charlotte, Corrine Clary, a French actress who co-starred in James Bond's Moonraker. Yeah, her, her second appearance, I think, on the or, or, or third, maybe. I oh, can't yeah. remember. Yeah. We love her. And elegant Belle Duke, Capucine. Capucine. The rich owner of a gambling den who owns her own band of thugs. Who's basically the Robert Shaw. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, the, and the Sting, the reason we're watching it, because it's the Sting ripoff. Yeah. You know, and it, she's basically the Robert Shaw. In the Proving there's no honor among thieves, these masters of ingenuity deftly work their complex swindles not only on the casino crowd, but on each other. And their hilarious stings and double stings make them the most lovable bad guys and gals you'll ever meet. The Con Artists is a charming comedy full of surprises and explosive action. But no blood flows. Only (laughs) M-O-N-E-Y. Only M-O-N-E-Y. That's pretty great. It's it's hyphened out like that. (laughs) So yeah, that's right. This was the Sting ripoff or uh, homage or... um, A ripoff. And the thing about it is, as much as I love Sergio Corbucci, I don't care for his comedies. uh, Partly because I don't really care that much for a lot of the, the, the famous... Italian comedians of that day. Yeah, they're usually dorks with sexy women. All right. Uh, uh, movies. Uh, I just don't find them funny. And he does. So he commits 100% to doing an Italian star vehicle comedy for the masses. He's like, this is my comedy. Yeah, this is like, yeah. yeah. I'm going to do a comedy. Yeah, he's not trying to play any games with them the way he does yeah. with his spaghetti westerns or even some of his action films. Yeah. He plays them pretty you know, straight down the middle as far as, as, as being well, Italian comedy vehicles. Comedy is like the hardest thing to do. The weird part about it is, like, I love his comedy stuff in his westerns. Well, because, like, in a comedy, I think he's trying to make a comedy as opposed to making a western. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so suddenly it becomes I'm making a comedy, and then maybe he just gets caught up in but it. It's also, but I feel a little bit the same way as but you it's, do but it's also, about uh, him but I mean, in comedies. But the half of the scenes that have Anthony Quinn in it have more of a seriousness, and I take it a little bit more serious as a movie. It's this Adriano Clenantano guy that I can't stand. Uh, yeah, but but that is the case with most of these Italian comedies. A lot of this stuff doesn't translate. It's very specific to the time and to the region. And so I just don't find these buffoons funny. And uh, and the movie's built around the buffoons. And, and, and now he has a terrible voice that they're dubbing him in, but I'm sure that voice is better than his own voice. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of like a, hey, he's well, they give like him a, a New York guy. No, hey, they hey. kind of make him kind of tougher, which I'm sure he's like far more fey. Well, yeah, right, they're trying to make his, him into a grifter, their version yeah, yeah, of a yeah, grifter, yeah. you know, the voice actor's version of a grifter. 
But okay, so the thing is, I'd seen the movie before, and I always I didn't care for it because I, I was forcing my laughs. To be honest, I was yeah. trying to love the movie because of Corbucci, and I was really trying to get into it but the comedy wasn't landing with me the way and i just kept i was like had just gotten off the airplane only like a couple days before so i was falling in and out but i'm fine with it (laughs) to be perfectly honest the sting has you know a proper grift that by the end of when the sting happens you're like wow like a satisfying and and this has nothing like that this i found to this the entire grift to be ridiculous and hinged (laughs) on and hinged on wonkiness yeah yeah yeah. and and so it it i I wasn't as enamored with their whole scam that they were pulling because frankly it felt like a ridiculous scam so while I'm not a fan of uh, the Kabuchi comedy, these uh, star vehicle comedies he directed, they are his biggest hits. They are the biggest hits of his career. And a couple of them, from what I've heard, are like two of the biggest hits in the history of theatrical distribution uh, in Italy. So what the fuck do you and I know? The Italians loved yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is one of them. Yeah. I think this is one of the biggest hits in the history of the Italian film industry. Well, it's also coming on like the... Because I think that comedian was that popular. Yeah, well, the comedian's time. that popular, and it's coming on the heels of The Sting, which was a worldwide yeah, sensation absolutely. at that so time. So the combination of this can't miss guy yeah. all right at the height of his popularity in italy all right with anthony quinn doing a sting ripoff it just i'm yeah. sure it's like that bollywood terminator yeah, yeah. <laughs> that got made you know it's like one of those <laughs> uh, i'm gonna give a quick shout out actually this tape is from eddie brant's oh, okay that's yeah. An eddie, yeah that's an eddie brant eddie one. brant tape number six nine nine four and a vest uh, uh a vid america which did a lot of uh, uh some cool italian stuff but mostly australian stuff actually oh that's weird and interesting it was almost always australian stuff And that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning into the Video Archives After Show. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new films. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first film features a Video Archives leading man and is written by the writer of my favorite Ken Russell film. The second is a 70s Western from a director that we've featured previously on the podcast and features an actor that played an Apache in the 50s. And the third is written by a female writer who wrote one of Video Archive's leading ladies Susan George's most famous movies. I'm Black Creek Gala, signing out. See you next time on the Video Archive's After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.
Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 